0: Well, good morning. We do wish you a happy new year. We're glad you're here. And three things before we open God's word. Number one, uh, right after the service today, we have what we call Discover TBC. It's the first uh, Sunday of every month. And it's in room 316. It's right on the same level uh, as the cafe. Uh, you uh, Some have signed up. If you have not signed up and would like to come, you're welcome to come today. It's from 1230 until two hour and a half so we have you out of there before the last car is out of the parking lot just about just kidding and so you can come and be a part of that again you don't have to sign up we welcome you to that also uh, choices pregnancy uh, resource center is here we're so glad to be partnering with them and have them here uh, starting the baby bottle campaign we'll be talking more about that but their mobile unit is here today it's the only sunday their mobile unit will be here and that's out in the parking lot and you can check it out after the service. We also have some uh, a team uh, just like we commissioned Robin, we have a team heading out to Panama this coming Saturday and then another team the following week. Uh, they'll be working with a, a lot of kids over there who are going through some challenging times and then they'll be uh, working with a, a, a women's conference, a women's conference that will be happening. Uh, be sure to pick up this bracelet. We have uh, bracelets for all of our trips going out so you can wear it and you can remind yourself to pray uh, for the teams while they're gone. So this is out by the uh, missions wall uh, in the lobby. Be sure to pick that up, and let's, uh, let's pray for them now, and be sure to pray for them as they're gone. Father, thank you for Robin. Thank you, Lord, for her time here at the Bible Chapel and the partnership we can have with her. Thank you, Lord, for uh, being able to commission her to th- do this work that, that you have for her to do. And Father, we pray the same for the, for the Panama team. We pray that you'd be with them. We pray, Father, that you would bless them in their travels, keep them safe. We pray that you would keep them healthy in, in a different country. And we pray, Lord, that you would give them uh, your uh, success in, in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to, to kids and adults as like. Alike. We pray, Lord, that you would bless them and their team as they uh, uh, work together, sometimes, Lord, in some, in some challenging situations. And so, Lord, we just commission them to you, asking that you uh, do your work through them on our behalf as they go out as, as our ambassadors. We pray the same thing for us, Lord, as we start this new year and this new decade. We're asking, Lord, that we uh, do the things that we need to do the disciplines we need to put in our lives in order to be those you've called us to be, to be effective ambassadors of Jesus Christ. That's our prayer, and we pray that you would be with us today as we think about that. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so at the end of 2019, we put forth a challenge to everyone here. If you're just joining us, this is a great time to join us, and we are putting this challenge out to you As well, as we begin a new decade and a new year, we are putting forth this 2020 challenge, this focus to read through the Bible together. Ready to do that? We're going to read through the Bible together. We're going to give you all the uh, help that uh, you need to do that. In fact, what we have, uh, you can download. You can go to our website, and you can uh, scroll down when you go to our website. Click a button, and you can get all the information you need. We will deliver to you. Every day in your inbox, Uh, the reading for that day, uh, also a devotional. If you can't read the whole reading, you can read a devotional and it will track along through Scripture. There's also the audible part of that. You can go down to the Scripture, you can hit the audible, and you can have that read to you as well. So think about it. On your way to work, you can meet with the living God as you read God's Word. We believe that is so critical and life-transforming. We also have a Facebook um, set up where you can go and you can interact with questions as you read through Scripture. You're going to have questions, we all do, and we'll interact with those questions together and so we're asking that you be a part of that uh, Facebook page as well as we do this thing together. Now the question that we always ask ourselves here at the Bible Chapel when we start something or when we issue a challenge is, why? Why? Why would, why would we do that? I, we have four grandkids, and over Christmas, I spend a lot of time with them, and, and uh, we have a two-year-old grandson, and his favorite question is what? Why? All the time, like a thousand times a day. Why? Everything I say, why? Everything we want to do, why? And uh, it's crazy because it makes me think about it, right? It makes me think about, why did I say that? And why do we want to do this? And then I have to communicate it in two-year-old language, which isn't hard, you know, for my level. It's not a a deep drop, but still, you got to think about those things. Why are we doing it? Now, a lot of times, I just got tired and said, just because. We're just, just because we're doing it. And that works for a two-year-old. That'll buy some time. But you know what? It doesn't work for a teenager, does it? And it doesn't work for children, even before they're teenagers, and it doesn't work for young adults, and it certainly doesn't work for adults and college students today, just because you're not accepting that. Why? So what I want to do today is try to answer the question, why would we say it is so important that we read the Bible through this year, from Genesis to Revelation? Why is it so important for us to be in God's Word on a daily basis? We believe that if you don't have the answer why to something, it becomes a pointless endeavor, right? And a pointless endeavor is a, is a heartless endeavor. Your heart's just not in it. And a heartless endeavor is a futile endeavor. And a futile endeavor is a waste of time. And I don't know about you, but I don't have time to waste. So how are we going to get in God's Word? And why are we going to get into God's Word? And what's the purpose of our doing that? And how are we going to do it? Together. What I want to do is two things today. I want to talk about the why. I want to give you three reasons why there are a lot of reasons. Let me give you three reasons why we need to be in God's Word. And then I want to give just a a 30,000 foot overview of Scripture where you're going to be diving in and out of God's Word as you read through it this year. So, reasons for reading God's Word. Number one, the Bible is God's timeless anchor god's word is a timeless anchor psalm 119 89 says this forever O lord forever your word is established in heaven it is our anchor now i don't know what 2020 holds i don't know what the next decade holds If you have uh, looked on the news feeds and you've seen the decade in review, it's crazy, isn't it? You think about, man, all that stuff happened since 2010, and then you think about our lives. All these things happened in our lives, I don't know what the next decade holds for me or you. I know this. There are going to be some great times, and there are going to be some challenging times, and we need an Anchor. We need to make sure we are anchored in the Word of God. Our soul needs an anchor. We have some people going through some difficult times in the church right now, and those who are doing it well, those who are doing it in a godly way, they are those who know God's Word, and their Word is sunk deep into their hearts, and their bodies may be going through some challenging times, but, man, their heart is anchored into the person and the work of God. So the first thing we need to know, culturally and personally, if we are not anchored, life is up for grabs. Fads come, this thing comes, that comes, a new teaching comes. We've got to be anchored in God's Word. Number two, God's Word provides a timeless standard. We're going to be reading God's Word this year, and you're going to see instruction after instruction after instruction, and as you dive into that, and as you study God's Word, you will find timeless standards. Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young woman keep her way pure? The Bible says, by keeping it according to your Word, with all my heart I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. I have stored your Word in my heart, that am I not what? sin against you. Here's the standard, and when you read God's Word, you will read page after page, paragraph after paragraph, God's standard for you, timeless standards that we can go to the bank on through eternity. And number three, most important, because it consumes the other two, is this. The Bible is God's love letter to you. The Bible's God's love letter to you. How many of you are parents? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you love your kids? Hoping the same number of hands were raised. <laughs> you would do anything for your kids, wouldn't you? We'd die for our kids. And God has done that for us. He loves us so much that he detailed for us in His Word, who He is, who we are, how we can live for Him, how we can live the life we've always wanted. We think we can figure that out on our own, but in God's Word, we learn, here's the life we've always wanted. Two passages I want us to see here, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, the Bible says, All Scripture, not some, but all, whether you're reading in Genesis or Revelation, all Scripture is breathed by God. It's inspired by God. It comes forth from Him. And when we read it, here's the whys. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training and righteousness so that, here's the purpose, that the man of God, the woman of God, again generic, may be complete and equipped for every good work. Let's look at that verse in a little graph form. So here we are on the track, right? We're living our life, we're doing our thing, and when we're in God's Word, God's Word teaches us, here's the path to take. Here's the path to take in marriage. Here's the path to take in parenting. You're a college student, we're So happy to have you here for another couple weeks. Here's the path you take as a student. This is the route I want you to go. I don't know about you. Sometimes I get off the path. You ever have that? And so when we read God's Word, we know we're off the path. That's the second part. He rebukes us. He recognizes our sin. You're not where you need to be. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be thinking this. You shouldn't be looking at this. You don't do these things, and so He rebukes us. You've wandered from the path, but He just doesn't do that. The Bible then corrects us, here's how to get back on the right path, here's how you get on the path that is pleasing to me and most satisfying to you, and then training, First, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, here's how you stay on the path, and that cycle keeps going over and over and over again as you read God's Word. Today there's a big thing in life coaching, right? Everyone has, a l- not everyone, a lot of people have life coaches or business coaches, That's cool. Well, here is the ultimate life coach. Your heavenly Father who loves you with an everlasting love, who gives you everything you need right here in His Word. Right here in His Word is a love letter to you. To live a life of satisfaction, meaning, purpose, and a life that pleases Him. Now, I want to make sure... That As we read God's Word together, because I've done this before, as I've done, read God's Word through uh, in years past, sometimes uh, it's become a checklist, right? I just checked it off, right? I read Genesis 6 through 9, check mark, boom, I'm on my way. I, we, that's not why we read God's Word. It's not a checklist. It's not a rabbit's foot. I've heard people say, you know what, I had my devo this morning, I had a great day, I didn't have my devo today, it was a bad day. Well, it doesn't always work like that. Sometimes I have my devotional and I still have a bad day. It's not a rabbit's foot. But God's Word is transforming. And so we read God's Word because it transforms our life. It is, Hebrews 4.12, living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it pierces the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrows discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, sometimes I can't even figure out my own motives. You ever have that problem? But when you read God's Word, He says, here, let me help you with that. The thoughts and intentions of the heart. I just got to tell you, if you're in God's Word, your life will be transformed. God's Word, His love letter to you, written by His Spirit, the same Spirit that lives within you if you're a believer, Man, you're going to see things that you've never seen before. You've read it a hundred times. You'll never see it again like you did before. You'll see it differently because God has something specifically to say to you in 2020. And when you read it again in 2021, it'll be new and fresh again. By the way, God didn't have to do this. God did not have to write his word. God could still be God and still... Uh, we be accountable to him without ever having written his word. The psalmist says the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies his handiwork. So we would never have to read God's word and would still be accountable to him because all we have to do is look up to the heavens and say, man, there is a great creator out there. Someone created this. And to those who say, well, what what, what about those who don't get to read God's Word? Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse uh, 19 and 20, for what can be seen about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal, think about this, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived Ever since the creation of the world, in all things he has made, so men, we, are without an excuse. Even if you didn't read God's Word, you would still be without excuse because God's eternal power and divine nature have been seen in the things he's made. But God said, I love you so much. I want to do more than just you looking to the heavens. I, I want to I write a love letter to you. I want to detail who I am, how much I love you, how much I care for you, this future, eternal future that I have for you. And So God writes his word to us because of his great love. It's an anchor. That's why we have to read it. It is our standard. That's why we have to read it. It's his love letter to us. Don't you want to hear what the God who loves you so much that he would send his son to die for you on the cross? Don't you want to hear? Don't you want to know? Don't you want to experience what he has to say to you? As you read scripture this year, you're going to be in one of three threads that just... That just go throughout Scripture. They kind of intersect with each other all the way through Scripture, and I would like for us to think about that. I want us to do a thirty thousand foot view. You're, we're on a plane together, right? And we're looking down. It's a clear day, and you can see. You can see down. You can just see the outlines of things. And here's the outline of Scripture. Here are the three threads that go through Scripture. Wherever you're reading, you're weaving in and out of these three threads: creation, the fall and redemption. Creation, the fall, and redemption. Creation is the relationship initiated. God initiates this relationship with us. We'll talk about that. The fall is the relationship broken. And you see that as you go through Scripture, right? You're going to read stories and you're going to say, my goodness, people actually did that? It's right there in Scripture. Yeah, it's an example of the fall. It's an example of what people do without God. And then, Redemption, relationship restored. How do we regain this relationship with the living God? So let's think about this. First of all, creation. God made us. We see in Genesis 1 and 2 that God made us to have a personal relationship with him. That's so cool to read that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. First of all, he created the entire universe in a way that we could live in it. With oxygen and water and all the things we need, the universe was created for his crowning creation, man. And then, in the crowning creation, chapter 2, verse 7, he breathes, it says, he formed the man out of the dust of the ground and he stooped down. I only picture that he stooped down, doesn't say what he did, but he breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul. Think about that. God loved us so much. He created this whole thing for us, and then he breathed into life his spirit. Man became a living soul. We're made in his image. We have the image of God, these communicable attributes we've talked about before, these things that, that remind people of God. God. And we get to represent him on this earth. These attributes that show that we're made in his image that make everyone on earth a special person because they are made in the image of God. And then God gives us these specific instructions. In Genesis 1 and 2, I love you so much. He creates Adam and Eve and then he puts him in a garden. And he says, man, everything is here for you. He talks with them like we're talking back and forth. He has open communication with them. They are are completely vulnerable and open before Him. Naked and not ashamed, the Hebrew idiom says. Naked and not ashamed, completely vulnerable to God. God and man are talking together and God said there's this one instruction, this tree in the middle of the garden, don't eat of the tree. If you eat it, you shall surely, what? Die. And all the instruction that God gave around that, God gave for our good. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have all, we have all this uh, instruction regarding marriage. Genesis chapter 2, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. We have uh, uh, in Genesis 1 and 2 what God intended for sex between a man and a woman for life. We see in Genesis uh, 1 and 2 that God used this sexual relationship to consummate marriage every time that act is performed, that marriage is consummated, and people fall in love, as it were, again. God says, this is my plan. This is what you do. This is what I have for you. And when you don't do that, it doesn't work, does it? So... I know today living together is a, a big deal. But here's the, here the, here's the statistics outside of the Bible. Seventy percent of those who live together before marriage and get married. Seventy percent of couples who live together and get married. Seventy percent will not be together in ten years. That's just, the, that's just the research. When you don't do things God's way, it just doesn't work. And so in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have God saying, I love you. I want this relationship with you. I've got some instruction that you don't do. I've got some things for you to do. I am there with you always. I am present with you. I want to interact with you. I want to have a conversation with you every day. Creation, we see that same God throughout all of the Bible. But then we know after Genesis 2 comes Genesis 3, right? And man sins against God. They take of the fruit of the tree and they eat it. And on that day, sin enters the human race, and then we have, detailed in Scripture, what it looks like to live in a fallen world. The fall impacts every one of us. If we could use one word to describe the fall, and when you read Scripture, again, you're going to read some stories that uh, detail it. But if there's one word that would describe the fall, it would be this word, P-R-I-D-E, pride. And in pride, there's that big I in the middle. Pride says, I want to be independent of two things. I want to be independent of God. I do not want anyone telling me what to do. I will make my own decisions on my own, and I want to be independent of his instructions. I will not submit to anyone. Pride. A lot of examples of that. Let me tell you one quick example. It's in Genesis four. If you were reading, uh, if you're following uh, the the reading plan, you read it this week. So in Genesis three, uh, sin comes in, and the first thing that happens in Genesis four is Cain kills Abel. Right. So Adam and Eve, right off the bat, understand living in this fallen world is painful. Someone else sinned, and they still have the impact of that. That's what it's like in a fallen world. Other sins impact us. And so here's Cain who kills Abel. And then God uh, disciplines Cain and says, you're gonna be out of the garden. You're gonna be on your own. You're gonna be a wanderer and um, a fugitive. And Cain says, that ain't gonna work for me because people are going to take vengeance on me because I killed Abel. They're gonna kill me. And remember, God says, no, I'm gonna put a mark on you. No one's gonna kill you. In fact, anyone kills you, their punishment will be Seven times yours. Remember the story? Seven times yours. Sevenfold. So you go down in chapter 4, and and, and then like five or six generations later, in chapter 4, verse 19, we start reading about this guy named Lamech, and all of a sudden, remember back in Genesis chapter chapter, uh, 2, marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Remember? In Genesis chapter 4, after sin, Lamech says, it says, Lamech, took two wives. You're not supposed to do that. Lamech took two wives. Six generations from the command, Lamech took two us. And then that dogs people throughout the rest of Scripture, even some godly individuals in Scripture. And then you see Lamech's pride. Lamech tells his wife, not only did I take both of you, but he said, I've killed a young man. I've killed a young man for striking me. That was my revenge. I just killed him. And then he says this. Just think of his boldness, his arrogance, his pride. He said, if Cain's punishment, if if, if someone killed Cain and and, and the punishment for someone who killed Cain was sevenfold, then if anyone takes vengeance on me, it's 77-fold. This guy's just arrogant. And we see that right out of the bat. And we see the fall impacting people all the way through. And we know it impacts us as well. As you read this year, you come to grips with just the, just the nastiness, the devastation of sin. And you see it in others' lives. And you know what? When I'm reading about sin in someone else's life, you know what I always see? That the seed of every sin, as the old theologian says, the seed of every sin is planted in my heart. If not for the grace of God, there am I. And I relate to the temptation and I relate to the sin. Any story in Scripture is really a story of us without God. After the fall, there is redemption. Again, these are the threads that weave back and forth all through Scripture. Redemption means to buy out of slavery. So God says, I love you. I care for you, creation. I, gave, I made all this for you. You're mine. I want to interact with you. I want to be with you forever. Then the fall comes, and God says, I'm going to buy you back. We see that in Genesis chapter 3, 15. It's the first mention of the gospel in Scripture. We see redemption from Genesis chapter 3, right after the fall, when God speaks to Satan and he says, he curses Satan, and he says, there's going to be one who comes from the woman and you are going to bruise his heel. You're going to cause him pain, but he is going to crush your head. Proto-evangelium, the first mention of the gospel in Scripture. And then in Genesis chapter 3, here's what else God does. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, their eyes were opened, they realized they were naked, and they were, now they are ashamed because of sin. And they went and they got leaves from a tree and covered themselves. God said, remember the penalty of sin is death, but not leaves from a tree. That leaf's going to grow that, the tree's going to grow that leaf again. So God, in Genesis chapter 3, remember what he did? He clothed Adam and Eve with skins of animal. Now what had to happen to have a skin of an animal? God put to death an animal because sin deserves death. And God says, Adam and Eve, you're not going to die right now. You're in the process of dying. So I'm going to put to death a living thing. Not, not that tree that's going to grow that leaf back. I'm going to put to death a living thing. I'm going to take the life of a living thing and clothe you with it, covered them with it. The first thing we see, in the first time in scripture we see atonement, a covering over. And then we see through the Old Testament that God establishes this sacrificial system. When you sin, you can be covered over by the death of an animal. But he did that just to get us ready for what? The one time for all time sacrifice, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world. And so wherever you are in Scripture, man, you are moving through creation, the fall, redemption, creation, the fall, redemption, all the way through. As you read this year, you're going to see a God who loves you, the state of fallen man, and a God who wants to restore that relationship with you. Let's let's look at it like this. So here we have creation, here we have the fall, and here we have redemption. Can you read that? So, one of my New Year's resolution is to write where you guys can read. It won't last long, but I, I'm doing it today. The threat of creation, God's love for us, is seen throughout Scripture. He loves us so much wants that relationship with us. The effects of fall are seen throughout Scripture. Man, we see it over and over again. We'll rejoin our study in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to see a messy church just like us. And redemption we see all through Scripture. So here's a God who loves us so much, he wants this relationship with us that he sent his son Jesus into this broken, fallen world, fully God, fully man, and Jesus went to the cross and he died there for you and me to buy us back from our slavery to sin. He died for you and me so we could have this relationship. Now, through Jesus, right? we have this relationship again with God. We have, through Jesus, what we've always wanted, what God always wanted us to have. This creation, relationship with God, where He interacts with us through His Word. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us throughout eternity. And we read God's Word because we want to know that father who loves us so much that he would send his son. We want to know how to live a life that pleases him. We want to know the satisfaction and the meaning and the purpose of this life that we have with the living God. If we would look at our lives, we we, we could kind of think of it like this. We, We live right here, right? We live right here, in this fallen world. And because of Jesus, we have a relationship with God. Because of Jesus and his redemption of us, we have this relationship with the living God in this fallen world. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge of our life, isn't it? We know God, we love God, and we're sinners, redeemed, bought out of slavery, and that's the whole sanctification process that we've talked about so often in 1 Corinthians, and we'll revisit. If I could wrap up that state we're in, uh, I would read, uh, I would go to 2 Corinthians 5. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about this redemption that we have. He calls it reconciliation, And then in chapter 5, verse 20, listen to what he says. Therefore, because we we have been reconciled to God through Christ, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Will you just say that with me? Ambassadors for Christ. Not, um, you know, if you get around to it, you can become an ambassador for Christ. Believers. Not, well, believers, when you get your life together and reach a certain stage, then you can be an ambassador for Christ. Paul says, We are ambassadors for Christ. Tag, you're it. God making his appeal through us. Think of this privileged and responsible and solemn position. As believers, we are ambassadors for Christ. And God, we are representing God. We are speaking on his behalf. And God is making his appeal to other people through us. You want to see people in your life come to Christ? You're an ambassador. The way you live your life, that's the appeal you're making. And we want to live our life in a way where God is making his clear and clean appeal through us. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. We are righteous ambassadors. We represent Christ. So let me give you a fourth reason to read the Bible. You're it. You gotta know what you believe. You got to know this God you represent. You got to be able to speak on his behalf. You got to be able to talk about his love. You got to be able to address sin in your life, my life, so that we're an ambassador that represents God well. We are ambassadors for Christ, man. I can't get over that. So a few years ago, this guy named Dennis Jett, professor of international affairs at Penn State, former U.S. ambassador to Mozambique and Peru, he wrote a book on the ambassadors of the United States. And I know it's going to come to a surprise to you, but not all of them were really good ambassadors. The youngest ambassador was a guy named Ed, uh, Edward Rumsey Wig. He was the youngest ambassador, 24 years old, Ambassador to Ecuador, he was there four years before he drank himself to death. Not a good representation of the United States. Cynthia Strom, she was an ambassador to Luxembourg, last part of 2009 to the first part of 2011, 14 months altogether. Her man- check this out. Her management style was so abusive that several of her subordinates volunteered for service in Iraq and Afghanistan. <laughs> I mean, Luxembourg's a pretty good gig, right? But anything to get away from Cynthia, send me to Iraq or Afghanistan. Then there was a guy named George Tunis, a lawyer and CEO. He was a nominee to be the ambassador to Norway, 2013. But in his confirmation hearings, he confessed, I'd never been to Norway and I know nothing about Norway. And he said some other things that caused the U.S. government to apologize to Norway, and the Senate just put his confirmation on hold for so long that he finally, he finally just withdrew his nomination. So here's our, here's our question. I'm going to ask myself this when I ask you. When our story is written as an ambassador for Jesus Christ, what part of the book is going to show up in? That part of the book that talks about all those ambassadors that didn't fare too well? Or to the part of the book that says, man, here were some ambassadors that represented Christ well. Here were some ambassadors, man. They were in God's Word, they knew about Him, they had been to Norway. They had that relationship with him. They knew about his great love. They knew about the sinfulness of man. And they knew that his love broke through that sinfulness and brought it back so that we could have this eternal relationship with God. If you're a believer here, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, it's just, where's your story going to be told? An ambassador for Christ. So we have uh, commissioned Robin, right? And we said a brief prayer of commissioning for our Panama group. So as we close, let's do this. Let's commission ourselves as ambassadors for Christ, all right? New decade, guys. New year. Fresh slate. We want to be those who represent. Christ well, and the only way we can do that is being in God's Word, reading His Word, allowing it to transform our life, and as we read it and transform, we'll see all the other benefits that come from that as He teaches us about marriage and about relationship and about being a student in college, how are you going to be an ambassador on your dorm floor or your house you live in, how are you going to be an ambassador for marriage Here's what a Christian marriage looks like. Did a wedding here on Friday. And just, just think about that. Couple gets to go out and demonstrate to a world what it looks like to be a Christian couple. We get to do that as, as married couples. What it looks like to be an ambassador as a parent, as a, as a worker, as a co-worker, as an employee, as an employer, as a neighbor. Ambassadors for Christ. So let's stand. And we're going to commission ourselves to this this great responsibility, this privileged position that we have. If you're not a believer, we can't commission you as an ambassador. We would ask you today to trust in Christ, to trust in Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God. If you're a Christian, let's commission ourselves, okay? So, Father, here we stand here we stand as those who have been bought with a price. We have been purchased from the slavery of sin. Our lives are, have been made new. We're a new creature in Christ. Here we stand. We are, you say, ambassadors. Ambassadors representatives, we speak on your behalf. Lord, let us just take in that solemn responsibility. We speak on behalf of the living God. Oh, Lord, we want to do that well. So we pray for your strength. And we pray for the discipline of being in your word and then doing what your word says. And we pray, Father, that right now you would commission us as your ambassadors for 2020. Help us to go out and demonstrate to a watching world what it looks like to represent Jesus Christ. Lord, make your appeal through us. And help us to live as clean vessels, as as godly ambassadors for you. We give ourselves to you, Lord. Take us and use us this year, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. There'll be those up front who would love the privilege to to pray with you. Again, if you want to go to Discover TBC, room 316, You guys are dismissed. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.